Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, 
you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. It's the podcast where I speak to bands and artists about building their own world, designing their own lives and paving their own path in front of them. That all sounds a bit grandiose, doesn't it? But it's true. You know, it doesn't come naturally. This thing doesn't, these things don't just come towards people, I don't think. They have to work hard and figure out what they're trying to do and put the hours in. And a lot of that means working loads of different side jobs as well. So you can pay rent and survive and live in expensive places like New York City, which is where A Savage calls home. Andrew is also, of course, in Parquet Courts, has had a load of different side jobs, which he talks about on today's episode. His new album, his second solo record, Several Songs About Fire, is out this Friday. Go pick it up. And if you're in England, if you're in London, you can see him at Rough Trade East this Sunday. Cheers for listening to the show. If you like this episode, please subscribe or think about leaving a review or a rating. All of that stuff helps massively. And when you subscribe, you get a little ding every time a new episode comes out. We've got Buck Meek from Big Thief, uh, the people who run So Young magazine, Bombay Bicycle Club, Pip Blom coming up on the show. So when you subscribe, you'll find out immediately when those come out. I've also started a newsletter called P45 RPMs. You can sign up for free at 101parttimejobs.com to get extra interviews, some breakfast recipes, Q&As, personal stories of my own downfall, some negotiations with the past, all of that stuff. Those are coming out on Sunday mornings, so you can spill egg down the front of your white shirts reading that. Sign up at 101parttimejobs.com. Before we get into the episode, I'm going to speak with Rebecca from the band Eka, who's also a brand ambassador for Ampolo, which is a practice at home app. It's getting to the end of wedding season. So if there's anyone out there who's been playing in a wedding band, about to play in a wedding band and needs to get their chops up on a Paul McCartney baseline where he doesn't play the same thing twice, Ampolo is the app for you. The one wedding I played as a larger band, I remember I actually messed up my Spotify account because of it. Ampolo would have been a lifesaver. Yeah, you could hear it back, hear yourself play it. And that probably has, I mean, that definitely has that kind of subconscious impact of being like, yeah, I can do that. If I did it then, I can do it again now. Exactly, yeah. You're not having to like run over to your laptop the whole time, set up a new recording channel, all that kind of stuff. That's Ampolo. It's free. You can download it from the App Store now. Happy practicing. Okay, here's A Savage on 101 Part-Time Jobs. 101 Part-Time Jobs. I don't know, I, don't know like, I, I guess I grew up in like the pop punk generation. So I think even though I didn't really, I wouldn't have said it at the time, I think mm-hmm. being a teenager in power pop bands and punk rock bands, I kind, yeah. of, th- I kind of thought... You know, I never, I would never say this out loud. None of our friends would have said this out loud, but we kind of thought, I think I kind of thought one day I'll get signed to a record label and then Mm. it'll just be plain sailing. (laughs) Right. That's a common common perception. You know, it's a, it's, it's being an artist is a world where your labor isn't always evident in a way that, you know, your audience might pick up on. I'm interested in like the topic of labor because, you know, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people haven't worked a job in a long time, but I think, you know, one of the important parts about, about consuming art is to 
recognize that a lot of times, well, it is somebody's job. It's always labor and labor doesn't always have to be like, you know, uh, miser- toiling in misery. Mm. It can be an emotional expression that, but it's still labor, you know, and you're consuming somebody's labor. Uh, so I, I, you know, it's, it is a job being an artist. Is this something that you've thought about a lot? I mean, that specific thing, for example, right? I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but what I'm thinking of when you say that is, you know, you might spend 10 hours a day for a whole week and come up with, I don't know, three tunes that you like. And then you might, Mm -hmm. the next week, you might spend 30 minutes each day and you might come up with five tunes that you love. That's true. I guess the main difference is what I do being an artist and maybe a job where someone, you know, punches a time card is I'm kind of always on, you know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. And that's kind of what it is to be uh, an artist. Like, you know, there's a lot of jobs I've had where, you know, my alarm clock goes off at 6 a.m. And I'm just like, fuck, I got to like, you know, I got to be, I got to be in this place in an hour and a half. Mm. And that's just so, that's such a warped way to enter the world every day (laughs) where you're just like, fuck, it's on, you know? Yeah. But now sometimes there's something that I envy about that because for a lot of my employment history, which was vast before being a quote-unquote professional artist. All I had to do really was show up somewhere Mm -mm. and convince a boss or a superior that I was working hard enough to merit staying at the job, you know? So it was like, now when I think of it in those terms, I'm like, not so bad. You know, like I just, a lot of my, a lot of my employment was pretty much just that. I've never been fired because I've always been pretty good. Well, like work ethic was something that was really like drilled into me from as long as I can remember. And I started working. Well, I mean, my history of labor begins with like chores, but the first time I punched a time card, I was 15 and I've been working ever since. I haven't been without a job and I'm including being an artist since I was 15. And so I've had this sort of sense of maybe not doing my best, but doing the bare minimum for a long time. (laughs) And so a lot of my employment history has just been kind of being at a place on time, which I can do. I can I I can be pretty reliable with just being at a place on time. And a lot of times I feel like that has helped me. That's been, that's been the thin line between being employed and being fired is people are just like, well, at least he turns up on time, you know? Yeah. 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 Once you get there, turn up on time. Like, like, you know, you can like smoke a joint or something and just like kind of coast at a lot of jobs. Uh, As long as you're just like, as long as they can see that, you know, you're there when you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've had a few of a few jobs where it's really come down to whether the boss likes you or in my case, doesn't like you. I had this job once in 
Denton, Texas, which is where I was born. Mm. And it's also where I went to university, you know, so I was a townie. And I had this job and it was a bunch of us guys that played in bands. And uh, it was a lot of uh, people that I lived with because I lived in this house with all these you know, musicians. And we all played in each other's bands. And, and so we had this job that essentially we were kind of like not security guards, but for the art buildings <laughs> on campus, we were like the key holders. And all, literally all we had to do was sit at a desk and then at like midnight, lock up the buildings, right? Uh, but we had to sit at a desk for like, you know, it was, the, the shifts were long, mm. like, like, you know, five and five in the afternoon, four in the afternoon to midnight. But we would just fuck off and go <laughs> like have band practice, you know? Uh, and then show turn back up at midnight and lock the joint up, you know? And so that's like, <laughs> and you got you away know, with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was there on time. And I, when the, when the, when the administrative people left, they saw me. So I was accounted for. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, you know, the, the building gets locked up. So, I, you know, we all kind of realized as long as we were there for those two bits, <laughs> then we'd be good and that's I, I think that's a lot of when you're an artist and you're forced into capitalism and you're i mean we're all forced into capitalism but like when you're an artist and your life feels like a tug of war between capitalism and making your art mm. you gravitate towards these jobs that like kind of allow you to 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 fuck off a bit yeah i mean you hit the nail on the head of like the, the, the spirit of this podcast, the spirit of this show. Oh, great. Because that's it. And I think so many people have this tension, like this internal fucking confusion about how much you should go to a, a job and try and live in that world or how much attention to pay to your art. And especially it's confusing if you are living in an expensive city which let's be honest most cities just are now mm -hmm. and you want to be in that place because there's artists there cool art is happening there's a you know there's a community but it's also expensive and you have to pay rent and buy groceries and so yeah that is a that is a direct tension of the life of the artist because in a very real way you need to make money to survive unless you're one of the lucky ones, which, you yeah. know, I'm not, um, uh, you need to make money to survive, but you also need as a human being, you need space and time to do your art. And, uh, so that's why, oh man, I've seen so many, you know, living in, a city like New York for 15 years, I've seen so many artists kind of just get swallowed up with working identities until their, you know, their, their practice is gone because it's kind of a one fucked up thing about, about work these days, especially if you're making above like a certain amount of money, if you've got like a nine to five regular gig, and it's kind of a trick that they played on us slowly over the years until we just kind of woke up and we're like, wait, why is it like this now? 
you like yeah. people work through the weekend they're like always on their email mm-hmm. they're always like a lot of my friends and these are friends who have like straight jobs like they're kind of always on yeah like they're kind of, they always need to be a phone call or email away and it wasn't like that not so long ago and now it's like it's kind of crazy the way that you're expected to be an employee mm-hmm. whereas uh uh if you that, that's i mean that's why a lot of another reason why artists gravitate towards you know jobs where you get an actual weekend like servers you know mm-hmm. uh, or or teachers i know a lot of artists who are teachers because you have two months out of the year where you that's just your time you know yeah and when you're when those people are working the weekends like they think they're doing a good thing you know you you buy into it you it's a tr- it, it, the tricks worked <laughs> and like, yeah. I've, we I mean I've I've been there I don't think anyone's immune to that because you want to mm-hmm. impress or do good for your boss because mm-hmm. you know it, that creates a better environment when 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 that kind of personality approach is put to it yeah for sure you know it's funny the way that you framed uh you know your teenage dream of being a musician you know okay I'll just get a record deal and uh and then, you know, it, it'll be easy street from there, right? But what, uh, what people don't see is like, you know, there's a lot of people working on, let's say, a record or a tour or a festival that, that aren't on the stage, you know? Uh, that's labor. And that's, uh, that's where, I mean, let's say you signed a record deal. Great. That's, you know, a lot of the money goes towards paying those people, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. you're, in essence, you're, your coworkers, you're, your comrades, your fellow, your fellow laborers. So it's, uh, that, that, that's one of the interesting things about, about art is that there's the perception of it. And then there's a reality of it. And somewhere in that reality and perception, labor gets a little bit blurred, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know plenty of tour managers or merch people who have gone on for weeks on tours not to get paid anything because they want to be there. And then maybe, you know, it, 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 at some point they're going to be like, oh, wait, I think I've changed my mind. Maybe I do want to get paid. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's exploitative and no one should ever do that. Um, I would never I would never not pay anybody that was on a tour with me. And those are decisions that you make because you're because uh, even like when you're starting, even in your first bands that are starting to make a bit of money touring, you know, mm-hmm. that's a decision you make, right? You're like, okay, we're starting a small business. Uh, we treat yeah. it, we take it seriously. We, you know, mm-hmm. we, we want to have fun and we want to play rock and roll, but you got to be professional about things because that's looking after folk around you. Yeah. You know, I guess I was lucky in that I pay, I played in bands for years before I made any money off of it and never did i ever expect to be able to like i would like to tell you that i was super ambitious and you know had this vision of me being you know a uh, a professional rock and roller uh whatever mm-hmm. uh but that's just not true and but i think that that's important uh in that you have to you have to set yourself up by doing this thing because you love it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it can only really work if you are doing something that you're going to be doing anyway. 
I can't imagine Parquet Court started thinking we're going to be huge. And no. Hey, put this, you know, on the other shoe, it's like the reason that you're so fun and you're such a party band and you'll sell as many tickets as the Roundhouse in Camden has is because it's it's subversive. People want to let off steam. People want to party. People want to dance to this mm -hmm. slightly off kilter thing that, I mean, I wasn't expecting that after, you know, I was a fan of Teenage Cool Kids. I wasn't. Oh, were you really? Yeah, I came to see you in Brighton. Did um, you at at the at the the something George the Saint George? Is that where it was? Uh, it's it's the knob piercing one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Prince Albert. That's Prince Albert. <laughs> yeah. With Algernon. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Cool. You were at that. Yeah, I moved down to Brighton, and that was when I was eighteen. I went down to do a journalism course at the local paper there, and that was the first. It was like the second night that I lived in Brighton. No um, kidding. And it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, no, I mean, n n n we definitely didn't start off with uh, with dollar signs in our eye for sure. <laughs> yeah, at a certain point when we w when we did start playing shows and getting paid for them, it was like, okay, we have to play as many shows as we can in order to cover our rehearsal room, you know. Mm -hmm. And there was an early there was an early stage in the band where we had a rule where we didn't turn down a show. So we played all the time in New York and we just got very good live that way. Uh, and, uh, and we were loving it. It was an absolute blast. What kind of, well, actually my first question, your lockup is having, having a lockup in London. I mean, maybe some people do it. I don't think I know anyone who does it, but it was, is, was that quite rogue? Was that pretty, pretty ballsy to get a lockup in New York? To get a lockup. And by that, do you mean our rehearsal space? Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's pricey yeah. and it's a dedication. Well, this was a different era also when things weren't as pricey, but I mean, I mean, a band has to have a place to, to, play yeah it's just kind of essential really um but oh man finding one in new york now is like it's like buying a house like you'll like go look at one and then someone will be like and we just rented it you know yeah you must have seen brooklyn change so much i mean what were your lives over the sort of the last i guess what is it like 10 years here or say you know what was your life like obviously you know you, you've lived in you lived in france more recently but when you were in, in in brooklyn in new york what was your kind of routine like what was your schedule like were you, were you hustling to survive was it was it were you kind of here there and everywhere i actually got hired at my first job in the city the day i moved there i went on a job interview because I spent every penny I had moving there. And so, I mean, it was really just like, it was a massive leap of faith. And I got hired at a job. I got hired at a, a shop um, on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn that sold household kitchen stuff. And, you know, it's it, that was nice because I worked, you know, five days a week and then had two days off and hmm. and I was young and so I could go out and and go to shows and you know be out late hmm. and then get five hours sleep or less 
and then turn up the next day and, you know, give, you know, 60%, you know, and, and so, and, and, you know, and then when it's time to go on tour, you quit the job and, and then when you get back, you get another one. So I got back from tour and I got a job at a different cookware store because now I had been, you know, I'd been trained in all these different cookware products. And so it's like a, it was a rudimentary skill set that I had. So I, I went for that. And so that's kind of what it was for, for the, for the early years in, in New York for me. Um, and I guess right before the only like salary job that I've ever had was right before Parquet Courts um, basically went on tour for the next 10 years. Did you think for a, for a minute, this is it, I'm a salary jobbed kind of guy? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I guess my life could have gone one or two ways and I'm really glad that I did make that leap of faith to say, all right, I'm going to quit this very comfortable job. Yeah. That I, I mean, I more or less liked. I was, um, I worked at a warehouse that shipped out uh, art posters. Uh, so I was like looking at art all day and. Um, nice. Uh, and, and coordinating shipments, which, uh, which is a skill that was a good one to learn for doing a small record label. Yeah. Uh, and, but I, yeah, I, I switched, I, I quit and they, I mean, they were very supportive. They were, I mean, they could tell I kind of had my head in the clouds when, when the band was kind of, you know, getting big, I would like, you know, sneak off and, you know, do a NME interview on the phone, like uh, when I was at the job, uh, which they found a little bit annoying. So they, they, they kind of realized, okay, he's, <laughs> something's happening for him and, so they were supportive. And then, so yeah, I, I left that job and yeah, it was, it was scary, but uh, it was an important thing to do. I imagine if it hadn't worked out, that still would have been the right decision because at least I would never have wondered, you know, what if. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, was that tour going to be successful? Did you know that it would be a, a good tour? I mean, tour is always, pretty fun uh so i was in it for the uh, you know i was in it for the adventure um and but i didn't know that we would make money which we did um but still like i was just not really thinking about things that way yeah. and uh like I, I couldn't tell you how successful or non-successful it was financially really mm. um i assume it was successful but uh but that, that's not that's still just it, that's wasn't what it was about for me you you're about the adventure i mean being an artist i love your art your art is it gives such a, a great feeling and i've seen bits and bobs across the internet but i know there's lots that i haven't seen were you, were you mm -hmm. have you been consistently been drawing and doing that kind of art through the band uh yeah yeah i've 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 been an artist, as a visual artist, as long as I've been a musician. And it's true, you know, people see the art I do for the band. Uh, but that is, that's not entirely reflective of my life as a, I mean, I'm, I, I'm a painter, really. That's, that's, that's my preferred 
you know, artistic expression. I do stuff like, you know, album layout for the band. And sometimes that involves my paintings. Um, and sometimes I'll do stuff that's more on the graphic end of things, which I think is probably what people know me for visually more is stuff that's more like, um, you know, maybe more on like a illustration or graphic end, but, uh, mm. but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a painter and that's, and that's another way that I, you know, make my money is by selling my work, uh, which also is, uh, it's, it's another sort of, uh, element of, the high pressure life of of an artist. Yeah. I've been selling my work pretty regularly for the past 10 years or so, I guess. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, but I mean, still it's, uh, it, you know, when you're an artist, just like being in a band, you have a studio that, you know, you need to pay rent on. And Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're in a city, like New York or Paris, like uh, renting a studio is like renting a second apartment. Right. And, but again, that's what gives New York artists their energy and edge is that they are just like desperately trying to make ends meet, you know, to just to keep doing what they do. It's, it's, I mean, it's really just all about kind of keeping your head above water and, and just being able to, to continue making art, you know? So it's this mm-hmm. thing where you're just like, you're hustling to hustle basically is, is the, and I think that might be a mentality I keep for the rest of my life because I've just been so indoctrinated in it here. Um, but that's, them's the breaks, you know, that's it. You, you gotta make it work. When I finished that tour that I was talking about that, that first parquet courts tour, um, I came back and uh, my roommate, uh he was he was doing this job as a like a a weed delivery guy high maintenance exactly exactly right that that's what it was and that show had just started when when we were doing this job so he got me that job oh nice which i did which i did for like the first year and a half or so of the band being you know, a serious touring band, uh, because, you know, it's, the, the, the band has never like fully afforded us to live just off of it in, in New York at times it has, but there's always needed to be like another kind of hustle. And so Mm -hmm. I've always had something like that. And it largely, it's been visual art, but, uh, but for yeah, that that was a that was a good one just because, you know, I was riding my bike a lot. I was in good shape, yeah. And I could just leave for a month or two and go do like a festival tour, and then come back and and pick up. And it was good money too. I mean, it was uh, the bags were fifty, and so we got to keep ten. Nice. Three, yeah, and you know, doing like. Uh, on a Friday or Saturday night doing 40 bags. It was, it was good money. How does it work then? Uh, is it like, um, I don't know, I think of a black cab driver in, in London. You, you basically like rent your car. You're hiring your car. When you get that Peli case full of weed in Brooklyn, how does it work money-wise? Well, it works like this. You just, they just give you the inventory and you sell as much of it as you can and you, you have to, you know, 
you have to account for it. I was one of the lucky guys who didn't get mugged. Damn. Uh, I and but a, a lot of guys got mugged. Is that because you're 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 carrying a similar looking kind of case, and people started recognizing that if you've got one of those pelly cases or you're on a a bicycle that you might be carrying? Yeah, people. I mean, professional, you know, thieves, like you know, uh, fellow hustlers, really, like they know. Like I would be followed sometimes. Uh, and I would realize that someone was following me. And then you just, you try to shake them off. But people can spot you. People people see someone and they're like, oh, I wonder if he's doing that. And then right. they kind of follow him for a little bit, see that they're going from place to place. And they're on a bike. And so I got lucky. I had been followed before, but I was able to shake people off. But sometimes people got everything stolen off of them, right? Fuck. And so then that creates this thing with the let's call them management mm -hmm. that, you know, they either have to believe you or trust you that you really did get robbed, you know, yeah. cause you can just say you got robbed and it's going to be like, you know, all everything's gone. Um, I can get murky. Sure. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't, I, I, I never, I never was in that situation. Thank God. What was it like with the police? Was this when it, and also what, how, what's the feeling now? I, it probably wasn't legal then, but it is legal now. Exactly. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's legal now. Um, so it's probably a job that's going to be disappearing soon, but it is a popular path of employment yeah. for a certain type of person in New York. Um, well now it's like a lot of people, they, they'll, I mean, well, they, you just steal other types of drugs, right? Like, uh, yeah. especially like uh, mushrooms and acid. Yeah. Um, They're having a comeback. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, yeah, that's like, but, but I know still people who still order, order from services, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't legal then. And it also was scary because it was a, it was a, a time at New York City policing when there was a very controversial policy called stop and frisk, which basically meant that the cops could stop you for whatever reason and just say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to search you, which was really fucked. But, you know, uh, I guess I had, um, sy systemic racism on my side. And I guess that would be mm -hmm. like a, a very evident, uh, iteration of uh white privilege is that it was mainly leveraged at um uh younger people with black skin yeah. uh, especially, uh younger black men um but there was a reason that it was on bikes and that during this era in new york there were people from new york that were there will remember this uh during the the first like half of that decade there were all these tables at every metro station with police and um uh they would just point at you and be like gotta see your bag you could tell them to fuck off because you just they just wouldn't let you on the train is what it was okay. uh and so you could just like turn around and leave and there's really nothing they could do about that but it was scary so we were we were on the that's why we were on the bike Anyway, so that was a job I did for a little bit. Yeah. 
Your parents were ran a newspaper. Is that right? I read that in the in the biography for several songs about fire. And when I they didn't run a newspaper. They were employed at a newspaper, but no, I, I don't come from newspaper parents. I was thinking sort of small independent uh, that would be bought out by the independent by the barons. <laughs> that sounds like a good story, but it's just not the truth. No, they they were they were they were employees of a newspaper, the Denton Record Chronicle uh, in Denton, Texas. When I read that, I thought it makes so much sense with your lyrics and, you know, just, just uh, talking about the record for a minute. I mean, several songs about fire, the lyrics are just fucking wild. You know, they're, they're so great to read. You just walk, you step straight Mm. into your world it plunges me into this place. And when you played at the Barfly, it's not called the Barfly anymore. When you played at that place in Camden a few months ago, I was there and hearing those songs for the first time. So I, I realized some lyrics had stuck with me from then till now, despite not hearing any of it. Yeah. I don't really know what I'm trying to say here other than I'm a massive fan and it makes sense that, you know, you, 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 you come from a family that has written. Uh, thank you for saying that, uh, that, yeah, that, that means a lot. And I'm, I'm glad that you gravitate, you gravitate towards the lyrics because that's a, I mean, that's, that's key for me. That's, I mean, I, I kind of, you know, I, I play guitar. So I'm a guitarist. I sing, I'm a singer, but I, I think before those things, I consider myself a lyricist. And so that's a, that's just a big part of it for me. And that's mm-hmm. why shows like that show that you saw uh, in Camden are, are special because uh, you know, the, the songs, I think that they should be able to be reduced into a very simple format. I think all songs should be able to do that. Um, mm. And my vo- my voice and my lyrics in in what I do in in, in Parky Courts and in, in A Savage, uh, they're they're very upfront. You know, um, it's not like kind of art, like you know, for example, like a My Bloody Valentine record where the lyrics or the voice is kind of this this texture that blends in with other textures and it just becomes like fabric with the guitars, you know, and it's really, it's really kind of beautiful the way like the voice and guitars and everything just kind of blends into this one thing. Mm-hmm. But the, that's not like the music I make. Like I, I like music where, um, well, like, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time and a band that really opened my eyes as to what it means to be a lyricist. And n- n- I'm not alone in this is the fall. Yeah. And, Everything is so separate on those records. The drums and the bass and the voice, mm-hmm. they're so distinct and they're so separate. And it's its kind of the opposite of like a shoegaze record, you know, to where everything's just kind of like uh, blended together by a generous amount of reverb. Um, and, and in a band like that, um, I think it's really important to for your your lyrics to really have some some depth to them because they're they're going to be they're going to be standing front and center on their mm-hmm. own mm-hmm. you know and so that's that's i think that's a quality with lyricist bands or mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. that the the words themselves need to be you know, as important as the the music that's behind them. It really forces you to pay attention in a different way of, you know, you say that the, the fool and shoegaze, you know, when you're listening to shoegaze, you're letting it wash over you. You know, it's like you're, you're getting mm-hmm. into bed with it. 
I feel like with the fool and Marky Smith, you've I've really got to like pay attention, you know, which doesn't always come naturally, but you've got to fucking listen. You know, I mean, you've you've got to you've mm-hmm. got to you've got to try. You've got to try. Yeah, that's well, yeah, that that's that's true. I mean, I mean, sometimes it just kind of grabs you and forces you to, mm-hmm. you know, that that's what a good lyric line kind of does is that it just like maybe you're maybe you're I don't know like folding your laundry or doing dishes something and then you hear a line and then you just have to stop what you're doing and and pay attention to it you know big time big time and do do you speak to your parents about writing I mean and and do you you think that there's a storytelling aspects that comes from them writing for a newspaper in Denton Is, is have you had those kind of conversations well it should be clear my my mother worked at the art department and so she wasn't writing um and my father was a sports reporter and so you know his writing you know was kind of more to do with the data of a of a game you know uh but so you know it's uh there there is beautiful baseball writing isn't there i mean there's some yeah i mean like old man and the sea stuff in there He's a baseball guy and baseball guys like to talk about baseball like it's ballet, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> like they they put it in such lofty language. It's it's almost you know it's it's, it's hilarious sometimes. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, they were I don't I can't really say how much you know, writing influence came from that. For, I mean other than that they were both very encouraging. I can't say that, you know, my my mother working in the art department of a newspaper um, exposed me to a lot of uh, just kind of tools of the trade. Uh, so, you know, a lot of like stuff that I still use because my, my, my process is still a very non-digital, you know, handmade kind of process. And so, mm. you know, I, I, from, from going there as a kid, I saw, you know, light light boxes and shading film right. and uh, T squares and uh, you know tracing paper and uh, uh, and you know seeing how sh- you know they would lay out like an advertisement. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's mm-hmm. like it was film. You know, and 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 if something was wrong, they would you know they would correct it by hand. You know, and it was a it was a skill, and so that's that that played a big influence on like the way I lay out, uh, you know, for example, I, I lay out a record for print. I, 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 I was around that kind of like, uh, drafting for print environment from a young age. So that was very influential on me actually. Yeah. That's cool. That, that process is, it's, it's very satisfying to hear about and to see. Yeah. I mean, and now it's, it's, it's sad because that's, it's, I mean, th- things have changed so much and it's all, you know, everything is done on screens now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and stuff like Illustrator and Photoshop, which yeah. I have a bit of a proficiency and you kind of have to. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, I, I do consider myself, you know, one of the last kind of true draftsmen, not one of the last, but it is a, it is a vanishing art for sure. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, uh, we're we're running out of time. Uh, so I just want to say, you know, thanks so much for being up for doing this, Andrew. It's kind of flown by, hasn't it? And I and I appreciate you kind of getting into the spirit of of the show, of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's just how you know when people told me I was doing this interview. That's just that's what they said. You know, be prepared to talk about your jobs so that's it you know and i mean to, to end with i guess well not i guess i one of my favorite things to hear about is people's fuck-ups at work because maybe it's good for you know maybe i'm projecting because i've fucked up so much at work i worked at a radio station on the adverts and i'd always put them on the wrong dates and direct you to something uh-huh. that's already happened or not happening on the right day and like you know when i worked behind the bar i'd kind of smash a lot and I was just kind of, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but be kind of being lofty. I'm one of those people, my mind's always kind of been somewhere else. There's always something that I want to do more <laughs> than yeah. the job I've been at, which is, you know, very, not, not very special. Lot, lot, lots of people that happen for, but I guess that the thing that comes out of that is making quite a lot of mistakes. Yeah, sure. Have you got any, uh, when, when I say that, what, what comes to mind? Any kind of mistakes that... Sure, that, yeah. My, my, my first job... Uh, I was living in Dallas and I got a job with family friends at this Mexican restaurant called uh, El Rincón del Viejo and it was owned by some family friends, Ruben and Hortensia and uh, they hired me and um, you know, I spoke a bit of Spanish just because I, I grew up in Texas but it was, it was, all, it was a Spanish speaking job um, and so my skills were not uh, native uh, skills. And so that was, that created some difficulty because there's some people there like in the kitchen that only spoke Spanish. So I had to, I had to navigate around that, but mm-hmm. I was a bus boy slash, I was too young to be a waiter, but I did that anyway, just because it was a small mom and pop operation. But I broke shit all the time. Like every day <laughs> I broke whole trays of glasses and they i was like a family friend and so they liked me but they were just like this kid is fucking useless like he shows up on time but like goddamn, if he can't get through like a four-hour shift without like breaking a tray of plates and bowls and shit and so like eventually uh eventually i just like stopped turning up um and i was like i was just out with my friends one day and they're like don't you have to work and i was like uh, I'm not going anymore. And then I didn't go for a month. And then I came back in like a month later and told them I quit. And they were like, all right, yeah, cool. Yeah, you, yeah, you quit. <laughs> like when, the, when I stopped tur- turning up, they weren't like, where are you? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's, that's, a, that's a test of character in yourself, right? You can learn a bit of humility, learn a bit of um, <laughs> personal growth maybe. 
Yeah. Cause it's not, cause it's that stuff like whether it's embarrassing, whether you want it to be embarrassing or not, it does, it, it can kind of cut through, right? It's, it's quite easy to be, and I've, you know, been there so many times quite easily to think, fuck, I am a, I'm a useless human being. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if anybody's listening to this that owns a bar, do not hire me because I will put you <laughs> in the business by breaking everything in there. <laughs> Great. Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for being up for this. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a million, Giles. When does this air, by the way? Uh, the record's out. It's October 6th it comes out. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll put it in that week. Is that good? Does that work? Well, if it's before October 8th, uh, maybe I could have a chance to tell people that I'm playing two shows in London on the 8th at Rough Trade West and Rough Trade East. Yes. And then the next day in Bristol at the Rough Trade shop there. So Excellent. Yeah, if you want to see me and get the record, uh, that'll be your first that'll be the first chance for anyone to get the record i think fucking brilliant and you made the record down in bristol as well didn't you with kate lebon true yeah kate lebon is just incredible that must have been such a, a brilliant experience she's fantastic i mean i should say that john Parrish produced it but kate played keys as well as a lot of other brilliant musicians but yeah it was it was a fantastic band and it, i was around wonderful truly talented people while making it which always helps great stuff Ewan lives just up the road from me I've met him a few times he's lovely pinnacle man hey thank you so much and um, you know have a great trip have some great gigs this record is is excellent I can't wait to listen I'm going to listen to it again now all right, Giles. Have a good one, man. Thank you. What a gentleman. A Savage. Several Songs About Fire is out tomorrow. You can go catch him at Rough Trade East if you're in London this Sunday. Um, and then I'm sure he'll be on tour after that. So go to his website and find out those dates. Cheers for listening. Really enjoyed that. This is good fun. I'll be back soon. The episodes with Buck Meek, uh, Bombay Bicycle Club, Jack Steadman there. Um, the folks at So Young Magazine, Oscar Brown, Pip Blom, loads of great stuff. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. It's just one click on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. If you want to go any further than that, you can leave a review or rating um, and profess your undying love for chats about jobs. <laughs> All right. See you again soon. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.